winter was here, but we are just getting started on the Game of Thrones a rewatch of season six, episode eight. No one. And now here are the two guys who are ready to leave Bravos forever. I am Rob Sistrino back with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Rob, how is this for something that no one would see coming? I I enjoyed watching no one this week. Oh. <laughs> if We're memory in- <laughs> serves me, I think this might be the first time that you and I have ever talked about this episode. Oh, was one of us uh one of us was away and the other one was uh was here with with somebody else talking about this on the original run of the podcast. Someone had yes. something to do. Yes. Some prior yes. engagement. Somebody was untangling some sort of river run shenanigans. Right. Uh, right. I believe that uh, that you uh, were had, had been on uh, a sabbatical for uh, this period of time. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe that's why. Maybe I'm coming at this one fresh where I'm feeling like, oh, I've never seen this episode. Ne- never gotten to a podcast about this yeah. episode. <laughs> I don't know. Am I insane? I mean, I remember thinking, you know, as we were nearing no one, I was like, oh, boy, here's the Arya versus the Waif uh, climax that no one has asked for. Uh, And here we go. It's going to be a real chore to get through this episode. And I thought that there were great scenes throughout this episode. I thought that this was a highly entertaining episode of Game of Thrones. Take or leave the Arya and the Waif stuff. But I actually think some important material going on with Arya's character development specifically. And a lot of fun with many of these other storylines. Always great to see the Hound use an axe on somebody's Johnson. It's a it's a fun time at the movies. Yes. No, he was good. And uh, false alarm. Right? We, we have talked about this episode. I think it was the uh, certainly the last the last week's episode and uh, maybe the one before uh, yeah. you and I had not gotten to speak. It was about, very, I'm, I'm sure that we had missed uh, the 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 Hound return but it wouldn't have surprised me to know that we we missed no one as well but I, I think that this was an episode that we were just like so burnt out on Arya and the Waif that it very easily just got broad brushed as a bad episode at least by me uh, and on, on a rewatch I think that this contains a lot of the things that I really do enjoy about Game of Thrones great character interactions great pairings the uh, the, the Bronn and Podrick scene is really fun um, you know like Mia Culpa on some of the River Run stuff I think that these scenes are actually really good uh, I, I enjoyed watching watching them and i expect that they're going to be ultimately pretty important for jamie and brienne wherever those two characters land i'm more and more convinced that their their fates are really intertwined uh so i think that there's a lot that we could talk about this week a lot more than i expected uh coming into the podcast okay all right well let's get into this and we are going to go back one more time to live from shilba square <laughs> what's the name of uh this project uh uh the bloody hand is uh i believe the name of the show at least according to the game of thrones wiki wiki the bloody hand yeah the bloody hand like the hand of the king and how uh the actions of the hands of the king led to all of this heartbreak and trauma first eddard stark who uh who who kick-started all of this malevolence in the seven kingdoms and then Tyrion stepping up his hand of the king causing all of these problems as well uh so the the bloody hand uh the bloody hand wipes and you better go see your maester about that 
All right. Uh, so we see Lady Crane in what would be her final performance here from the great uh, Shilba Square. Rushed it, right? I mean, knocked it out of the park. Took Arya's notes, like, be a little angrier. You know, you're, yeah. you're not going to be thrilled about what happened to your child. You're going to feel furious about that. Took that note and ran with it. She took that note and ran with it to rave reviews. The crowd loved it. And so... Uh, went wild. <laughs> Lady Crane then takes off her wig and goes backstage. Josh, uh, can I stop down? Can I ask you some more questions about uh, the bloody hand? Yeah. Wait, is this an off the record stop no, down or an no, on this the is, record well, stop down? I mean, it's off, the, uh, it's off the beaten path. But, off the uh, beaten path. No, but this is what it normally sounds like when you're like, can, can we pause down here? I got a no, do- Dominic is trying yeah. to breach the, the podcast studio. Okay. So Lady Crane, after this scene, she takes off her wig. That is, this is a, you know, picture wrap for Cersei in the bloody hand, the death of Joffrey. Or it's like intermission and she is just like taking the wig off to let her hair breathe a little bit. Well, what comes next? I mean, I mean, how far does this thing go out? I mean, do we get to the Walk of Atonement? I doubt it. I bet that that is the end of the show and like they're waiting to write the Cursed Child part two. You know, like I think that they're they're waiting for the second act. This is history in the making. So I don't think that they've got this finished quite yet. Because I feel like that sometimes these historical projects, uh, you know, aren't as good when they're too close to uh, the subject, like uh, the Evolution of Strategy volumes, uh, chapters 29 and 30, for instance. But Josh, just because I don't remember them doesn't mean (laughs) they weren't excellent material. I'm sure they were great. But so what is the ending of this play? Is is it Tyrion, Tyrion shooting Tywin? I guess so. I, I, w- I would expect that it, it ends right around there. And then it's like the bloody hand escapes. So maybe, you know, it's a it's a tragedy in that way where the villain wins. Yeah. So, you know, and they're setting it up for the bloody hand, too, which is it's not released yet. And I also I had uh, wrote this in my notes, but I forgot to mention it. But in a the one of the previous versions that we see, the Tyrion in the show talks about like, oh, now I've got to cross the narrow sea. Did, was this known information? Because I kind of feel like there's a big manhunt for Tyrion at the uh, start of season five. Did we know his whereabouts? This feels like a continuity gaffe. Yeah, I don't think so. I think maybe a big assumption on the parts of the of the playwrights here. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, they, they got heard some him. inside track. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they heard about him uh, because also that Tyrion is walking around in Marine not you know worried about being you know accosted here in any way by anybody looking for that ransom no he feels pretty pretty good it would Mm -hmm. seem you know he's got other things to worry about he's not so concerned about what his sister has planned for him okay anyway so lady crane uh off to go backstage you would think after last week after the poison incident you didn't think she wouldn't go so quick for the rum that was left uh, out you know you can't you can't resist you, know? <laughs> you can't resist once you've got the thirst you can't stop but lady crane finds aria in the closet yeah, or behind she, some clothes 
And, you know, is, isn't it a little, uh, it's, it's kind of nice, right? I mean, it's terrible that Arya is bleeding out and that she's been stabbed and that she's been wounded. I think it's like kind of sweet that like she seeks out Lady Crane, like Lady Crane's the only friend she has here in Bravos. I, I like Arya and Lady Crane. I think this is nice. It's only person nice she knows. Continued. Yeah. Exactly. Only person she knows. Okay. All right. So, uh, Lady Crane is going to get Arya back to her place. I guess nobody sees uh, Lady Crane uh, carrying this uh, stabbed woman around uh, Bravos and uh, gets her into bed. And luckily for Arya, Lady Crane has stabbed a lot of people. Yeah, this is hilarious. Lady Crane's like kind of a psycho. <laughs> Major she, psycho. Yeah. Yeah. She says that like she she is attracted to bad men who would go out and philander behind her back. And when they would come home smelling like other women, she would stab them. But and then, she'd then feel, feel bad. Feel bad about it. <laughs> Doesn't count if you stabbing. feel bad after can't take it back but she can stitch you up so she has stitched up several stabbings in uh in her time which is very good news for Arya stark but yeah what a what a weird what a, <laughs> yeah such a weird little backstory for lady crane the stabber now she can clean up your stab wound but she can't make soup lady crane no. do not do not go to lady cranes for the soup because it is not good She's a butcher, not a chef. <laughs> and so she's going to stitch Arya up and says, uh, you know, uh, what are you going to do with your life now, Arya? What's next for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't I don't really know. Uh, and Lady Crane wants Arya to to come to Pentos, come to come write some letters to Pentos and, and join me on the road. We're taking our, our show to the next free city. You'd be a great actress. We need a new star here. Mm-hmm. No, uh, she's not going to do this. She can't remember the lines. I don't believe that. Uh, the way that Arya memorized her list and who is on it and who's off. I feel like Arya would be a natural at the theater. Yeah. And Lady Crane is like, you know that this play is literally your life. That there, <laughs> there's no reason you could not remember these lines. Like, these are yeah. things that literally happen to you and your family. Yeah. It's like literally also you are writing the play. <laughs> you are a character in the first 10 minutes. You were, do you, <laughs> you can play yourself. If it's, if it's too meta, you can play your sister. <laughs> Or your mom. Any of those parts are available. We need a new Sansa also, by the way. Yeah. It's very funny, though, because like she's she she really could have gone on with with Lady Crane. And you wonder what would have happened maybe if the waif hadn't gotten to Lady Crane first. Yeah. Well, speaking of Psycho Crane, that Arya said, hey, what happened to the girl that wanted you dead? And Lady Crane says, well, uh, she's going to have a hard time finding acting work after uh, they see what I did to her face. Yeah, stabbed her face and didn't stitch it up, I bet. Uh, I mean, I thought that she maybe put her face in hot soup. Ah, that's possible, too. <laughs> she got the Lady Crane soup face. Oh, man. Crane so, kick to the face. <laughs> crane kick. Uh, but they start talking about uh, maybe Arya is just going to go uh, adventuring. I mean, is this like a gap year for Arya? Yeah. <laughs> or was Bravos her gap year? I hope Bravos was her gap year. I believe Bravos was her gap year. I think she's back in action. She's re-enrolled in the University of Winterfell in season seven. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Arya is talking about her plans. What's west of Westeros? Pike, yeah, well, right? Is, 
This is, uh, yeah, this is, oh, God. I mean, Pike is Westeros, but it's the, the west of Westeros. I was thinking about that, too, the other day, that there, in, in all of, like, the, the maps of the world of ice and fire, there isn't a lot that's charted that is west of Westeros, and Pike is on the western side, and they're, like, the proudest pirates and sailors. They got to go a really long way to find anything interesting, those people. Yeah, you would uh, think so, at some point the seafaring people would have said, eh, what's what's on the other side? What I yeah. mean, I know they got Westeros right here, but maybe there's something else. Yeah, because like, like all like the free cities action, like that's east. That's a far way from from Pike. Pike really has to like go all the yeah. way around Westeros in order to get there. If these are the pirates, like either this is like kind of like poor geographical planning from the mind of George R. R. Martin, or it's supposed to be like <laughs> another testament to just like how much the Iron Islanders suck. Yeah, it's like the, these pirates who have to like really, really commute hey, to do their job. Euron uh, could have potentially beat uh, Theon and Yara to Marine if he just would have sailed west. Yeah, I'm sure that's, that's not. I'm sure it's not how it would work, but you just don't know. It also Why? are probably, you a flat uh, planetoser? Uh, I think that you fall off. Yeah, if you keep if you keep going, you just I never pictured up. you as a flat planetoser. Is this a controversial take? Is this a hot take? Of course, of course, planetos is flat. Hmm. Stupid conversation. Hmm. This is almost as dumb as your take on the English language being featured in Game of Thrones. Close competitor. All right, Arya, take some milk of the poppy. Trust me, uh, that milk of the poppy looks good. <laughs> I want some of that. I wish somebody would know. give me milk of the poppy. Yeah, it's like you, oh, you got to get your wisdom teeth out. Here's some milk of the poppy. Yeah, yeah give give me a glass. Yeah, you'll wake that. up in two days. Like, oh, yeah. really? Sounds yeah. great. <laughs> I don't know if we should be on here endorsing milk of the poppy. Feels like a dangerous <laughs> position to be taking right now. But here we are, uh, seven episodes hey. deep into our sixth season. <laughs> when you're endorsing milk of the poppy. <laughs> When you're on Planetos, you do as they do, right? Yeah, just uh, sail right off into, <laughs> okay. a, into a tall glass of milk of the poppy. All right. Uh, let's Are go we out. done yet? Oh, my God. Let's, no. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, let's talk about some uh, rascals out there in uh, the Riverlands. See, like by the time we got to this scene in the episode, it's like, oh, this is this is more enjoyable than I than I remembered. The Hound just like rolling up on these scoundrels and just taking them to town. Maybe it's like uh, because the Hound has been gone for so long. And even when he came back, he wasn't quite the man that you remembered. But seeing him act a little more Hound like in this sequence is what what does it say about me that i'm rooting for this man to just viciously murder all these people but it's it's just it's a ton of fun to watch the hound do his thing (laughs) yeah i will say that uh this is another scene that speaks to sort of like the puritanical nature of game of thrones when they want somebody who is just a complete random person to be dead and us to not feel bad about it they sort of like uh like here's 30 seconds of them uh saying uh, vile things yeah yeah uh this this one guy is like talking about like you should you should smell this this hand it's <laughs> right, gonna, right 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 the bloody hand like, i believe it yeah. Was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! the muddy hand <laughs> 
so bad. Coming soon to Shelby uh, Square. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's horrible. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. Not good. All right. Yeah. Here comes the hound, uh, like a uh, Jason Voorhees, uh, just gonna just start executing these guys. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, he just he comes right in and just like one smooth move of that of the woodcutter axe and just yeah, he just totally like Friday the thirteenth that guy's head right off in, <laughs> in like one move and he he knocks these other guys very quickly as well. And then the poor last guy. Yeah. Who he who he gets right in the groin and like a lot of stuff spills out at this guy, but he's still alive long enough to shout out some expletives before he goes. Yeah, both uh, the Cleganes are really doing work in this episode. It, I'm telling you, it's it's Clegane Bowl hype. There's <laughs> no other way to think of it. This episode also was written by Benioff and Weiss. They wrote no one, which is uh, maybe a surprise when when you uh, remember the when when you think on what the the quality of this episode is. And I think maybe a testament to why maybe it's a little better than memory has it. Uh, but there's no way that they put these two scenes back to back. Basically, you know, they're they're very close to each other at least. Of Sandra Clegane viciously murdering people. Followed not terribly long after by uh, his big brother doing the same. They're setting that up for the final season for sure. Yeah, it's a great sequence there at the end of this where uh, the guy is like, hey, F you. Uh, and the hound is saying, those are your last words. Come on, you could do better. And so the guy uh, goes with the hard C word. And yeah. uh, the hound tells him that he's really terrible at dying. Yeah, you're shit at dying. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see the hound as a critic, I think would be would be an amazing deal. Like the hound at Shelby Square uh, <laughs> being like a theater critic, I feel like would be would be really, really good. <laughs> Shit at acting. You know that. OK, uh, let's go out to Marine and we are going to see a uh, goodbye for Varys uh, and Tyrion. I hate it when Tyrion and Varys say goodbye. It leaves us with scenes of Tyrion and Melisandre, or Missandei rather, and Grey Worm. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, and actually, that scene, even that scene, I like more than I than I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Varys is going off to go back to Westeros. Uh, Tyrion's like, "What? Everything's working. Come on." But Varys, he's got a he's he's not a big fan of fanatics. You know, he doesn't he doesn't trust that this is going to that this is going to work out, even though everything looks fine. Optically, it seems like Marine is off in a good place. Uh, Tyrion says the city has come back to life. Um, but Varys says, like, look, if 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 we're going to if we're going to make our moves here, if we're going to if we're going to start getting ready to to get over to Westeros, we need to make sure there's a welcoming party when we get there. So he has he has some moves of his own that he is uh, he's trying to put into place. Okay. All right. So uh, Varys is off. Uh, we'll see more from him uh, later on uh, this season. Meanwhile, uh, Kyburn comes to uh, tell Cersei there are some uh, fanatics here to see you. The faith militants are here. They're here. And... Uh, Cersei is uh, she's she's not thrilled, but if the king wants them here, then she's going to she's going to deal with them. Yes. The High Septon is summoning Cersei. Uh, that is what Lancel Lannister is reporting. And Cersei's like, mm, nope. 
Kind of don't want to do that. Don't want to see him. His feet smell. Not a fan. <laughs> no, I don't want to. And so Lancel tells Cersei uh, this was not a request. Yeah, he he uh, is really trying to puff up his chest here. Uh, but uh, if the High Sparrow has an army, Cersei has a Hulk in the form of Sir Gregor Clegane. Uh, Lancel asks Cersei to to have Gregor step aside, or there will be violence. And we get this great line from Cersei Lannister, which was in the trailer for season six. You got to remember this, which yeah. says, "I choose violence," and violence ensues. And it is it is gross. Right. A guy, one of the faith militant tries to, you know, hit uh, Sir Robert Strong. Like, yeah, a, what's that weapon he has? He has like a like board a, with nails, like in a it. garden hoe. It seems yeah. like um, and then he just like hits him in like, I mean, he's clearly wearing a suit of armor. I, I don't know. I, I like I understand the faith militant are wise in terms of the seven, but are trained fighters. Perhaps uh, they are not. Or they they just they believe so strongly. Yes, so this this board with nails in it is going to be the thing to take down the mountain. Wearing a suit of armor, yes. and it hits him like right in the breastplate. It just like sticks in the breastplate, and then uh, we see the zombie mountain uh, just uh, destroy this guy and literally <laughs> rip his face off. It's it's insane. Yeah. Uh, he, he knocks him around. He like throws him into the middle of the courtyard. He follows him into the courtyard. He like drags him by the head. He like punches him. Then he like gets him onto his stomach, grabs his head by like the lower jaw from behind and just keeps pulling upward until he pulls the whole thing off and just throws it like he's spiking a football. Uh, and everyone is just like aghast. Like everyone is just like, holding it together barely new guy in the back puking his guts out and Cersei says please tell his high holiness he's always welcome to visit uh that's a that's one way of uh, of telling him off i think okay all right so then we are going to go to river run and uh here we see brianne and pod it's been a minute since we saw them and <laughs> this is funny that podrick says uh oh wow looks like a siege uh, and Brienne says, uh, you have a keen military mind, Pod. Patrick <laughs> uh, Payne's great in this episode. Yeah, well, a couple of good moments uh, with him. All right. Yeah. Uh, so they are surrounded by, by Lannister soldiers. And uh, Brienne says, uh, take me to Jamie Lannister. Tell him I have his sword. Tell him that his BFF is here. Uh, yes. So that's, that'll work. You know, they, it seems like they let them in without much further argument because the next scene, uh, Podrick is standing outside of Jamie Lannister's tent while Brienne is inside and he gets uh, snuck up on from behind by, mm -hmm. by Bronn. Watch your hands. Mm -hmm. yeah and so then uh we see uh a couple of really funny moments with uh Bronn and Podrick Payne well like it's just great because I, again I know our loyal friend and listener Brendan Fitzpatrick he's always so mad that Sansa has never acknowledged Podrick in the times that they have reunited since they should know each other from the time that Sansa and Tyrion were a thing um, but no such treatment from Bronn towards Podrick, who not only instantly remembers Podrick Payne, but how could he forget the legendary stories surrounding Podrick Payne <laughs> as well? So there's a lot of reference to to the reverence that was held towards Podrick back in the Littlefinger brothel days. Mm -hmm. 
There's a lot of talk about how Podrick has improved as a soldier in some ways. Yeah, well, he gets him in a headlock from uh, behind him, and uh, which is very funny. And then he's asking Pod if he thinks that Jamie and Brienne are having sex. Right. And Patrick's <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about that. She's uh, I'm her squire. This is gross. Yeah. And uh, that's when Braun asks if him and Brienne are having sex and yeah. uh, says, hey, you're the one with that resume. Yeah, he's got the resume. Yeah. The magic. Bloop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Podrick says that no, he uh, Brian's is teaching him how to fight, and so they practice fighting. And then Braun, in like true older brother fashion, just like <laughs> smacks Podrick around. Well, it's great how he sets that up too. He's like, "All right, show me your fighting stance." Uh, now, now I I like your footwork, but I want you to take a look at mine. So he like has Podrick like look down at Braun's feet, and as he looks down, Braun just like whacks him in the head. Yeah, McFly, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, go to uh, Jamie and Braun, and uh, they talk about uh, what what they've been up to. And uh, Brienne has uh, now uh, found Sansa Stark. Yeah, well, you know, we catch up with the conversation midstream as Brienne has like filled her in, uh, filled him in rather on on a lot of what's been going on. And Jamie, like true to form, he's like, I'm proud of you, Brienne. You did the thing. Like, I can't believe that. I definitely would have thought that Sansa was just dead. and You were just kind of going to go out there and roam the fields. But look, you did it. Mm-hmm. Super, imp- super impressed. Uh, it's nice to see these two back together. I didn't expect to be as happy as I am seeing a scene with Jamie and Brienne. This isn't really a ship that I'm a passenger on typically, but I kind of liked it here. And I kind of feel like if this, if this scene is going to exist in, in season six and late season six of game of Thrones with so such little time left on the clock, you really do have to feel like there is a resolution to the Jamie and Brienne thing coming up uh, in the final episodes. I'm, I'm very curious to see where these two characters are going to land. So ultimately Brienne is going to, Ask Jamie to allow her to go and talk to the Blackfish. And then uh, her proposal is that then if she gets the Blackfish to sign off, will the Lannister army let the Tully army out of River Run to go march north to take on the Boltons? Will, Will they give them free passage north? And Jamie tells her that she has uh, till the end of the night. Josh, do you think had the Blackfish accepted Brienne's offer, would they have been slaughtered by the Lannister army on uh, their way north? Would this have been just a uh, sucker move? I wonder about that because I can't imagine Jamie would have suckered Brienne like that even though Braun may beg to differ. You know, I I can't I can't picture that. I, I can't picture like the Jamie who who went through season four uh or or season 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 three rather with Brienne um and and shared that bond and the way that they interact in this scene in the tent. I can't imagine that guy who gives her the sword and asks like basically demands that she keeps the sword or demand as he would say. You know, I cannot imagine that he would then go and and betray his word and have her massacred. Um maybe massacre the Tullys and send her on her way. Mm-hmm. I guess I could see, but I think that Jamie is authentically trying to move away from that person. So if he's trying to strike a deal here 
with the Blackfish, as we saw in the first episode uh, of the River Run sequence. And he's now coming up with this plan to get River Run back so that this can all just be resolved and he can go back to King's Landing. Like, his mission is to resolve the situation here at River Run. If it's resolved mostly nonviolently, he probably still figures he can go back to King's Landing. So I think he's probably on the level here, would be my bet. Do you disagree? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I suspect he feels like there is a 0.0% chance that this is going to work. So he's like, look, go ahead. Uh, you know, have at it. Sure. Yeah. You, you, you get the blackfish to give up the castle. You do whatever you want. But I, I think that he uh, does not have a lot of faith that this is going to work. Yeah. I think that that's fair too. I, I think that the read though, that like he, if it did work, you know, against all odds that he would then turn and just like destroy these people. Uh, that feels very counter to who Jamie has become. Like, I think that Jamie's a guy who's been willing to do terrible things in the past, but I think that he's he's proven himself yeah. to be a man who's reckoning with that stuff. And I kind of feel like that the proof that Jamie just has no faith that this is actually going to work and it's just like, okay, he is uh, just humoring Brienne is that he ends up having the whole conversation with Ed- Lord Edmure before Brienne ends up talking to the Blackfish. So exactly. I think that uh, he's not really holding his uh, hopes that this is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a good call. Okay. All right. So uh, Brienne also lets Jamie know that just so you know, if this all goes sideways, we, I may have to fight you. Let them fight. No. Uh, they, he says, Let's, I, I, I really would not want that to happen. Let's hope it doesn't happen. Hope it doesn't happen. Okay. All right. So Brienne is going to go and open up negotiations uh, with the Blackfish, and he's predictably not having it. No, he's really not. Yeah, he's like, I like River Run. I don't want to leave River Run. Uh, I don't know Sansa. Haven't seen her since she was a kid. I don't know what her handwriting looks like. I can't trust that this word is actually hers. Uh, so he's really just like shutting it down completely. Mm-hmm. Eventually Brienne does make some progress and then uh, gets a blackfish to read the note and says, ah, she's just like her mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's his niece. So like, you know, you would think that that would move him a little bit, but still not quite because he's the guy who is really, he's, he's, you know, he's playing out the theory that you tossed out, or at least the hypothetical that you tossed out, where the Blackfish is basically like, I'm not going to do this because you're friends with Jamie Lannister. Brand says, he's not my friend. And he's like, really? Well, then who gave you permission to, to cross the siege line and, and come into River Run? It's a good you know, question. And who, gave, who gave you that sword? So the Blackfish at this point is suspicious that, like, he can't trust this at face value that this is a, a real request from Sansa Stark. And even if it is, and even if he goes, there's no telling what's going to happen if he goes on the other side of that drawbridge. Is he not just going to get Red Wedding to part two? You know, like I, I feel like that's very fair. And I think that that speaks to the conflict we were talking about the other week with what's going on here with Jamie Lannister and the Blackfish, where I think Jamie is authentically coming to the Blackfish as kind of a new man. And the Blackfish has no reason to trust that this new man exists. Okay. Uh, Brienne is going to tell Podrick. Uh, all right, get the get open up a uh, a hailing frequency to Sansa and uh, tell her I failed. Yeah, what does that letter look like? Like, what does he write? Just like, dear Sansa, I blew hashtag it. Hashtag fail <laughs> from from Brienne. 
<laughs> All right, let's go back to uh, Cersei, uh, and she is going to go and watch uh, some important business going on in the Red Keep, and she wants yeah. to go and talk to Tommen, and Kevin Lannister says, uh, no, there's a royal announcement, and you have to watch it with the other ladies of the court. Yeah, and she didn't even get the memo in advance, so it's a real testament to just how far on uh, far down the totem pole Cersei has fallen in terms of the the King's Landing hierarchy. That she's not even talking to her son anymore. She's not getting the heads up when there's going to be a press conference. Okay, so press conference opens up, and uh, Tommen ends up announcing that. Um, by the way, no more trial by combat. Yeah, that's done. Uh, there's no more trial by combat. There's going to be Loris and Cersei's trial happening very, very soon here. It's going to happen at the Sept of Baylor, and trial by combat is not going to be an option. So it's just going to have to be like a trial trial, which flies in the face of the way that Cersei has been behaving. She had one of her goons, her top goon, Rip the head off of one of the High Sparrow's goons. This is not the act of somebody who is uh, atoning for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that if Cersei is to stand trial in the traditional sense, that she's in big trouble. But luckily, we get in this scene as well once this announcement is over. And poor little Tom and seems very conflicted about the whole thing, as he often does seem conflicted. Uh, we're going to see... Once this is all done, Maester Kyburn and Cersei are going to have a moment alone together where Kyburn has been investigating something, this old rumor that he's been informed about by Cersei. They've looked into it, and it turns out that it is much more than a rumor. Uh, Of course, we have the benefit of hindsight and knowing what is to come just a couple of episodes from this moment on, but it speaks to what you and I were talking about recently on one of these podcasts of, is Cersei already planning the incineration of her foes. Uh, and so we know now, even before this moment, when Tommen is saying trial by combat is out, already Cersei, at the very least, was coming up with a backup plan for trial by combat. Mm-hmm. Now, the trial by combat thing that Tommen announces, uh, where is this coming from? This is just uh, the High Sparrow. This is has his fingerprints on it. Uh, Yeah, I think you could see Marjorie's fingerprints on this as well, where Marjorie has been taking the approach of she's not banking on a soldier of fortune to get her out of this jam. She's not banking on Loras, certainly, who is, while he is the Knight of Flowers and is thought to be this great warrior, he's been imprisoned for seasons now, uh, for, you know, well over a season at this point. Uh, And she's been, you know, atoning. She's been learning uh, verses from the text. She has been cozying up with the High Sparrow. If it comes to an actual trial trial, she knows that she's fine and her brother is probably going to be fine if he just does whatever she says. And he's already indicated, whatever you need me to do, I just want it to be over with. He will sign on for that, whereas she probably gets the idea that Cersei, if there's no trial by combat, she's screwed. She's finished. She's toast. That's done. And with Cersei out of the way, Marjorie's going to be free and clear to do almost whatever she wants. Now, it seems like Kevin Lannister also very much in on this. Seems fine with it at the very least. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like anyone with a brain knows what happens if Cersei walks into the Sept of Baylor on that day instead of blowing it up. 
She's done. <laughs> it's it's over for her. Uh, and I, I think that the way that Cersei's been acting, uh, I think that a lot of these people would not be displeased if Cersei was disposed of, uh, even if it probably like, breaks some of their hearts to some degree. Like, I'm sure Kevin Lannister isn't pumped about the situation. I'm sure Kevin Lannister would 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 have preferred it if Cersei was just like acting cool and and not like a like a like a very angry, vengeful, violent person, and instead was just getting on message and backing the Tom and Baratheon regime like everybody else. But that's not what's happened. Like he has to be concerned about his niece because she seems like a very dangerous player on the board. I don't think that he's pleased about it, but I think that he also reckons with the idea that like, we're going to have to deal with this the way that we have to deal with this. Okay. All right. So the stage is set for, uh, the, uh, Sept Baylor to, uh, have some redecorating. Yeah. AKA it's going to be destroyed in hot neon green wildfire. It's going to be very pretty for a moment, but for like very terrible reasons. Okay. Let's go out back to Marine to see Tyrion hazing poor Missande and Grey Worm. What did they do to deserve this? Knock, knock. (laughs) (laughs) Drink. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a real throwback to, uh, to, to the to the scene in the tent from season one with uh, with Shay and Bronn and Tyrion playing Never Have I Ever, except this is like a uh, this isn't even a game. It's literally just tell me a joke. What M- jokes do you have? More jokes. More <laughs> jokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the jokes are fine. Fine. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really get the Stark joke uh, where. Uh, that uh, the three the three lords uh all have a glass of wine and there's a fly in it. Uh, that the uh the it's st- all right. So so to set it up, so three lords walk into a tavern: a Stark, a Martell, and a Lannister. They order ale, but when the barkeep brings them over, each of them finds a fly in his cup. Mm-hmm. The Lannister, outraged, shoves the cup aside and demands another. The Martell plucks the fly out and swallows it whole. The Stark reaches into his cup, pulls out the fly, and shouts, Spit it out, you little shit! Spit it out! So the joke is the Lannisters are super wealthy and indignant, and if there's a fly in their cup, they're going to demand another cup of, mm-hmm. of beer because the the resources winnowing don't matter to them because they can just buy more resources. The Martells are drunks and lushes who who live gluttonous, carefree lives, so they're just going to take the fly out. They're just going to drink the the ale anyway. And the Starks are cheap, proud It's jerk. a cheap joke? Yeah, so get Starks spit- are cheap? Yes, this is a yes. new subplot six yeah, seasons into the show. You're, you're, you're sipping my, my beer. You're drinking my stuff. This is not just, you have, to t- you have to spit out the wine and give it to me. So it's not even just that they're cheap. It's that they're always fighting losing battles. Uh, it's like get this like little amount of wine out of a fly to waste any effort on that is such a stark thing. I mean, Starks are dumb jokes I've heard before, but Starks are cheap. Starks Starks cheap. Mm. You know? Okay. Uh, I think they're they're cheap and they're foolish. Uh, yeah. That they that they pick fights that they really ought to not pick. So yeah. I think that's that's the joke here from Tyrion. But if you have to explain it at this level of detail to a podcast audience, let alone two people who are from the East 
who know nothing of these Westeros concepts. Really a bad joke. Yeah. And and then uh, Missande has a joke too, which is like the kind of joke that if you have some sort of like uh, voice enabled home assistant and uh, <laughs> ask it yeah. to tell you a joke, this is like the kind of joke that you get. Uh, I could I could ask such a thing right now and bring it over to the to the microphone if you if you wanted to test it out. No, people could test it out on their own time. <laughs> I, have a, I have a tablet, but these are the types of jokes that you get. And now I'm going to do that as soon as we get off the podcast. Yeah. Spend a, spend a night with she who must not be named for fear of her speaking on the record on this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Plugged in. If I say her name, she'll, she'll talk. Yes. And then uh, Tyrion uh, says that uh, he has a story. He uh, walked into a brothel with a honeycomb and a jackass. Uh, and yeah. then, uh-oh. Yes. Yes, and then uh, bomb, bombs away. Uh, this is apparently uh, uh, a continuation of a running gag uh, that I, I had forgotten uh, since it's been, it's been well over a year at this point since we've talked about this episode. Uh, but all the way back in season one, when Tyrion is in the thick of his first trial, uh, trial by combat, before he demands trial by combat, he was talking about the brothel with the honeycomb and the jackass, and he never got a chance to finish that story then. So hopefully, Rob, please, please, before the end of Game of Thrones, season eight, to finish this tale. Yeah, that'd be great. What do you think? Also, do you think that Tyrion's going to be able to to open the imp's delight in the final season of Game of Thrones? The the vineyard he wants to. He wants to open and only his close friends can drink the wine. Is that going to happen for Tyrion? Yeah, that's going to be like the final scene of the show where we see Tyrion in the future in the vineyard and opens a bottle of Imp's Delight for only like for Varys and Pod and Jamie and all of his friends. Sky dragons in flight. <laughs> drink the Imp's Delight. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think that right after Arya sails for West of Westeros, I think that's when we, uh, you know, uh, then dissolve to Tyrion uh, opening up the, uh, the the vineyard. Okay, we'll see. Okay. Uh, but things are bad because oh, the masters are here. Masters are here. They, they yeah. tricked us. They duped us. Who could? Who saw that coming? Everybody mm-hmm. but Tyrion. Yeah, it's unfortunate. All right, so we get a scene here with uh, Jamie and Edmure, and this is a good scene. It takes a couple of twists and turns. Yeah, I like this scene. Rob, I like this episode. This is a good episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's not like a blockbuster episode of Game of Thrones, but it's like a very solid Game of Thrones episode. It's it's fine. I, I think the, you know, absolute nadir of season six uh, might have been reached a couple episodes ago, and then uh, this stuff is fine. It's totally fine. I just would not have expected to be higher on like late stage or like late middle stage uh, Game of Thrones season six yeah. than early middle stage. Well, we're getting to the six. really good stuff. What happens if we get to the Battle of the Bastards? It sucks. Then have we like officially like crossed into an alternate universe? I guess so. We're in the mirror universe at that point. Don't look mm-hmm. at the light. <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> Jamie and Edmure, and uh, Jamie is going to, you know, he'll, he'll be a good cop at points. He'll be a bad cop at points in this scene. Interesting tactic to play both good and bad cop instead of having a second person playing one of the parts. Like, yes. You could have had Braun here. Only Liam Neeson uh, can pull <laughs> off a role like this. <laughs> Liam Neeson as Jamie Lannister is a fun concept to consider. Yes. Okay. So uh, they're talking about, you know, um, uh, 
he's trying to be friendly, trying to be, hey, hey, buddy, hey, Edmure, I'm, I'm your buddy, and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> And Edmure's like, on, you're guys. no friend of mine, Jamie. And uh, please, I'm not your on. Jamie friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's insulting. And, and Jamie's like, that's come on. That's not that's not cool. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, he's like, hey, I heard you had a kid. That's great. I haven't seen my wife since the wedding night. And on that wedding night, my entire family was murdered. Ooh, I should have done my research. Mm, uh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just, you know, Jamie's like trying to offer him like, look, we can come up with a deal. You could be with your family. We've got room for you at Casterly Rock. We could tutor your kid. We could do all sorts of stuff. And Edmure is like giving him like the same deal as the Blackfish gave to Jamie. And so I think it's like for me again, like I think that this is less about Jamie is walking into this room expecting to play good cop, bad cop. And more it's a it's like a continuation of what happened in that first scene between Jamie and the Blackfish at, at River Run where Jamie tried to be reasonable with the Blackfish and the Blackfish was not having it. Not only was he not having it, but he was disappointed in Jamie's tenor. Uh, that way he walks in and he's just kind of, uh, he's like a wet blanket compared to the legend of Jamie Lannister. So Jamie's trying to have this conversation with Edmure where he's trying to set him up with a reasonable deal. And Edmure's like, do you imagine you're a decent person? Like you're a good guy? You've massacred my family. You kept me in jail for years. You stabbed a king in the back. And I feel like Jamie, who walks into this conversation with Edmure, like really trying to unravel this situation as peacefully as possible, is now coming to realize that thing that Jeff Probst always says, right? Like, if people the tribe think, is spoken, you know, <laughs> basically, though, like, you know, if, if people think you are this way, maybe it behooves you to act that way toward them. Perception is reality. Right. So in the eyes of the Tullys, Jamie is an asshole. So Jamie better act like one and give them what they expect and maybe make it a little bit worse. And maybe he'll be able to get to the thing that he wants. But it's kind of a tragic scene in that way where I do think that Jamie like this, this guy who's really trying his best to be his best is realizing that at least with some people he's never going to be able to win them over hmm yeah sad it is sad it's good though it's good like this is a great scene i i'm i'm surprised at how much i've I've enjoyed the the brief stint here in river run i think it's been good yeah good jamie lannister character building material here yeah and so Edmir, you know, he's uh, talking tough and Jamie is uh, going to get down to business. And uh, he's talking about how he really admires uh, the women, the sisters, his sister and Kat Stark. And uh, they would do anything for their children. And uh, hey, uh, remember your baby? Well, I will launch him into a river run with a catapult. Yeah, like at a certain point, that's where this has to go. It's like, if you believe me to be the kind of person who would launch your baby into the side of a wall with a catapult, I have to be that person. Like, I have to be that person. I have to be who you expect me to be. And don't forget that one episode earlier, Jamie uh, scolded the phrase and was like, don't threaten people with something you're not willing to do. I can't remember. I think he's willing to do it. Yeah, no, exactly. So I, I wonder if, A, is he willing to do it? B, I'd have to go back and revisit it. Was Edmure in earshot of Jamie when he when he said that to the phrase? And if so, is he like kind of like leaning on that at all here? Or would Jamie Lannister actually launch a baby into a castle wall if he had to in order to wrap this thing up? Um, I doubt that he would if push came to shove. 
but I believe that he believes in this moment that that's what he's willing to do. I think that like he's so angry and upset about how all of this is playing out that he's just like he has to like fall all the way into bad cop mode and like kind of believe it. I think he would do it. I mean, maybe he might not be able to pull the trigger, but he'd get that baby in the catapult. I think he'd consider <laughs> yeah. it. I think he would get that far. I agree. Yeah, I think that I think that the baby would be in the catapult. I don't know if the if the baby would make it to the wall. It's very morbid stuff because, we're talking about here. Uh, I really feel like that the Jamie Cersei thing is uh, super strong right now. Uh, and he says, look, you can laugh uh, if you want to. Uh, that's why I came here. I love Cersei. You can sneer. It doesn't matter. She needs me and I have to get back to her and I have to take River Run. Uh, I'll send for your baby boy. Yeah, but I think a lot of that is because and we're really getting into the psyche of Jamie Lannister here. But I think a lot of that is because he's so messed up right now and he's he's lived a life where he's been so messed up. Uh, he's been so misunderstood over the Mad King deal. Um, but, you know, he's at this point right now where the Lannisters are backed into a corner and they have to, like, fight tooth and nail to get themselves out of here alive. They've lost two of their children at this point, Jamie wasn't able to protect Joffrey. Jamie wasn't not only was he not able to protect his father, uh, but he feels like he got his father killed by setting Tyrion free. This brother that he loves has now killed their father and is accused of killing his son and is on the run. And he's got a lot of anger about that. Jamie wants to atone for that mistake. And so he goes to Dorne, unfortunately, and he's unable to save his daughter. She dies in his arms and he goes back and he sees the way that Cersei is in the horror situation with the high sparrow clearly starting to influence his son just like everything that jamie has ever fought for everything that he knows is highly endangered right now and i feel like the lessons that he learned along the way when he was destitute when he you know in the initial aftermath of losing his hand and being at the on the verge of death all the things he lost there and all the things that he inadvertently gained in in that process of like finding actual heroism and seeing what he is actually made of and the idea of life outside of being a Lannister to some degree and being looked at in the eyes of somebody who who can see him for who he truly is and someone like Brienne. I feel like he's he's lost sight of a lot of that stuff from the distance that he's had away from those things. So yeah, I agree with you that I think that he very strongly feels the Cersei connection right now because he feels like that's all he has left. But he's going to go back to King's Landing in a couple of episodes from now and see what she's willing to do to fight for what's theirs. And that is, you know, the equivalent of launching a thousand babies by catapult into a castle wall. And it's just not a road he's going to be willing to walk down. So we're in a really fascinating place with this character right now. And I think that the end game for Jamie Lannister is going to hopefully be really, really good. It's certainly set up to be really, really strong. But I think the subtle difference is that Jamie is willing to do anything to get back to Cersei. I don't feel like that Cersei is willing to do anything to get back to Jamie. She is willing to do whatever to get vengeance on her yes. enemies. And, and I do think that, you know, it does tie into the Lady Crane stuff a little bit where Arya talked about like, no, the thing about Cersei is that, you know, after she lost Joffrey, then it would make sense that she wants to take vengeance on all of her enemies and so I, I think that she's more motivated by that than she is necessarily motivated by i have to get back to jamie and i think jamie's gonna come to realize that right like when he when he starts like walk away from cersei in the season seven finale and she's like gonna threaten his life over it 
And he's going he's gonna to realize that at the very least she was willing to flirt with that line and that's something he was never, ever willing to even consider was, was damaging his, his, the love of his life, his twin sister, in that way. I think it's going to be a very sobering moment for a guy like Jamie who is literally willing to charge into the mouth of a dragon in order to end a war for the person that he loves. To find out that he's not loved back in that same way I think is going to be a massive wake-up call. So I agree with you. I think that he's willing to do a lot of really stupid, dangerous, evil, terrible things in the name of Cersei and that she is not going to reciprocate for those reasons, that she is a lot more about her own feelings, about her own um, her own interests rather than her interest in Jamie. I just think it's a, a fascinating dynamic where I think that Jamie is probably going to be taking a long look in the mirror and being like, what the F was I willing to do? What the F have I done yeah. along the way here? Uh, and uh, he says to Edmure, you know, your son doesn't matter to me. The people in the castle don't matter to me. Yeah. Only Cersei. That yeah. all I have to do, I'll slaughter every Tully who ever lived to get back to her. That's what I'll do. Yeah, you know, he's addicted. He's addicted to Cersei. Might as mm-hmm. well face it. Okay. Uh, great it's, stuff. It's really great stuff. Who would have guessed that like a Jamie Lannister and Edmure Tully scene uh, would have been would have been so good, you know? Certainly not me a couple of episodes ago. I stand fully corrected. I've, I've really enjoyed the River Run stuff here. Edmure is going to uh, go back up to River Run. Say, uh, let me in. Blackfish says, don't do it. Don't let, him, let him in. And they but, let him in. But we have to. <laughs> but we have to. Yeah, I mean, he make, makes it through. These Tully soldiers are really dumb, right? Yeah, they're not smart. I mean, th- how many times was Edmure Tully like in a noose outside the thing? Blackfish is like, let him die. Let him die. Just kill him. I, I mean, what is the difference between this and, and now him saying like, hey, guys, can I come in? Guys, maybe they're just at guys? a point where like they're tired and they want to end. The Natalie, siege. they're <laughs> Can I have your can I have your Ed mirror? Can I have a drawbridge? Yeah. Natalie? Mm-hmm. Guess not. No. Uh so they l- let him in. They let him in, and he comes in, and first order of business is all right, uh surrender. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. Put the blackfish in irons. Yeah, but that just that causes things to just Go wildly off the rails here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we spot the the blackfish with Brienne. And she's like, come on, come with me. Let's get out of here. And the blackfish, he's just, he's, he's so, he's, he's bored to death. Mm-hmm. Sieges know? are boring. Like, yeah, sieges are boring and he just wants to be done with it. Sieges are boring, but battles are fun, right? Come with me and we'll go to a battle. Yeah, it's like, he's no, not willing I to can't. do it. I've got to die here. That's he's born here. Got to die here. I think. I think that I would. I would. I would walk away from this River Run revisit if uh, and feeling a little bit better about it all if the Blackfish had survived. They could have. If they could have brought him. I know in. you still don't like this. You know, it's just it's not my favorite thing. It's not my favorite thing. A little bit of a waste, I feel like. Yeah, I do like it when uh, he's going off to go to the fight and uh, he says to Brienne, oh, look, uh, I haven't had a proper sword fight in years. I'll, I'll make a damn fool of myself. <laughs> and, and Benioff and Weiss doing us the kindness of not uh, allowing uh, the Blackfish to embarrass himself in front of millions of Game of Thrones viewers because mm-hmm. uh, we do not get to see said sword fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so we see Jamie Lannister 
uh, as the uh, Lannister infantry advances and uh, they give word to Jamie Lannister that uh, the Blackfish has died fighting. They found he's him dead. and he's dead. He did. He did. died off screen. Yeah. Some people don't buy it. Why would no? this guy lie? I don't know. I, I have no reason to suspect a lie here. I'm just reporting that mm-hmm. uh, there are there are the Valyrian foil hat wearing people who think that the Blackfish is still alive. That with six episodes left in Game of Thrones, there's going to be time for a uh, surprise. The Blackfish made it. And here he is to see. He's the day, uh, the hanging out with Cereal Pharrell. Yes. And Lady Stoneheart. She's there, too. Mm hmm. Yeah. And and the waif. The waif is uh, there. I guess you see her face, but... Uh, Alan Reed, he's yeah. hanging out. Yeah. All these All right. guys. All okay. these people who we would love to see, but we'll never see. Brienne, rowing uh, ever so slowly down the river. Uh, Jamie Lannister spots her, and they have a, a wave. I like Not the it. wave. Not the wave. The wave. <laughs> yes. Okay. I like uh, it. I like it. Are they going to end up together? Is that going to happen? No. No. What's going to happen? Death. Uh, I don't. I. You don't think Jamie's gonna die? Yeah, at least one of them's gotta die. I think. Yeah. I could see. I could see Jamie making it and Brienne not making it, or vice versa. I could see any combination with with these two characters. I could see them both alive. I could see them both dead. I could see one or the other. None of that would surprise me, except for the manner in which it happened. I mean, it really depends on. I mean, do you believe uh, the Valencar? And then is Jamie going to kill Cersei? And if he does, I can't imagine he lives after that. I don't think it's impossible that he could survive it. I think it'd be. I think it would and be. Then, a, and then it gets romantically involved with Brienne. I don't know about that. I don't know about rom- romantically involved with Brienne. I think it would be a very compelling ending for Jamie Lannister to leave him in a place where both he and we as viewers must consider what life is like for a guy like Jamie Lannister in a world that Cersei is not in. I think Queen it could be Slayer. A, yeah, I think, it could, I think it could be very compelling. I, I think for him to, to outlast her for uh, the end of the, the, the show, I think it would be fascinating for sure. Okay, all right. Uh, Marine is under attack. The Masters are attacking. Uh, Tyrion with the John Locke. I was wrong. Yeah, you should have kept pushing the button, pal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, oh, guys, okay, I get it. It was my fault. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. I don't know yeah. what they're doing in the writer's room. I'm not acting like myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Grey Worm doesn't even want to hear any advice from Tyrion on this. I mean, I kind of feel like well, I'm Tyrion. Like, uh, like, hey, I did sort of defend uh, King's Landing uh, at something called the Blackwater. Yeah, but that was, you know, that was years ago at this point. I guess. When, when did Grey Worm successfully defend a city? Grey Worm's a soldier, bro. Yeah, but is he a general? I mean, I don't, I don't know, know if he's a, a, I don't know if he's a general. His plan is, hey, let's just uh, stay in the pyramid until the masters get here. Yeah, and then just fight him. I mean, I don't I don't know who's got the strategy here, but I can't say that I blame Grey Worm for not wanting to take Tyrion's advice. He doesn't know this guy at all. And yeah. the only thing he knows about him is that he made peace with the masters, which was controversial at the time. And now, weeks later, they're getting invaded by the masters. <laughs> yeah. It's a I'm big, just saying that <laughs> Nikki Fink style told you. So successfully defending an invasion happens to be something that's on Tyrion's resume. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. 
Grey Worm doesn't know jokes. I don't know how often he's been like reviewing resumes for people to to join his cause. Yeah. So. Hey, maybe if he would have told the story of Blackwater as opposed to uh, like all those stupid jokes. Hey, she said, war stories. Tell me <laughs> a war story. All right. Something's on the roof. What's something? What is that? What is that noise? Danny's home. Dragon Queen. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll see Danny make a uh, short work of this mess next week. Yes. All right. The hound is on the move. Yeah. He's he's on the trail. He's looking for for the lemon cloak, and he's found him, but not mm-hmm. before the Brotherhood has found him first. This uh, the Brotherhood the the Brotherhood without banners renegade has been caught. Lemon cloak uh, was just a nickname, right? I don't think that that's his actual name, but who knows? This <laughs> is this is Westeros. They've got funky names. Lemon cloak it would not be the weirdest. It'd be up there, but not the weirdest. Yes, because he does literally wear a yellow jacket. Right. I think mm-hmm. that name was taken. That's a transformer. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so the hound shows up and uh, this is uh, such a reunion for the hound. Yeah. He hasn't seen Thoros and Beric in a while. And like everyone's like very straight down the line about it. Mm-hmm. You know? And they're excited to see them. And it's like, wait, you were going to kill those guys. I was going to kill those guys. Yeah, they get into like a little bit of a haggling situation. It's like, you know, it's like the hound is buying a used car is the way that this goes down. Of like, all right, I want to gut all three of these people. They're like, you can't gut all three of these people. It's like, come on, let me do it. They're like, you can kill one. Mm -hmm. Come on. I'll kill two. And they're like, okay, you, you can kill two. And then he tries to gut one of them. They're like, no, you can't gut them. We didn't agree on that. You can kill two of them, but they're hanging. We hang them. We hang people. We're civilized. So yeah. that's where the, that's where they land with it. So it's that's, very, very fun. Uh, I really yeah. enjoyed this. It's progress for the hound that he's not just going to eviscerate these men. The fact that he's just going to kick a bucket out from underneath them and let them hang. That's a, that's a sign of, yeah, it's a sign of evolution for the hound that he's, he's you know, able yeah. to kill people in a way that isn't quite as gross as he normally kills people. Yeah, I, I like the the hound then uh, takes one of the guy's boots right off him while he's hanging there. I kind of wanted him to like move away from the guy, though. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't know what's going to happen with the guy. And like, I feel like he's a little close. To what, the do lemon think? Cloak. what do you think the guy's going to kick him? No, I think that there's like other considerations of what happens with Lemon Cloak's body and where the hound was like positioned right by the body. Like, oh, see, I don't, I don't hung anybody. It'd be gross. Yeah, I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't All actually right. try it. Don't try it. All right. So the, after the hanging, uh, we see the hounds. Uh, got anything to eat? He's always hungry. Yeah, he likes food. Yeah, I really. Yeah. And so he uh, the guys are talking and they're like, come on, hound, come with us. Yeah, we're part of something. Yeah, we got a We got a real good thing going on here and we want you to join. We want you to be part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Cold winds are rising in the north. Hounds, come on. Yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah. You were born a fighter. You beat Beric last time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... And one wonders why. Why was that a possibility? And the the hound says, "Because I'm better. Mm. It's got nothing to do with the Lord of the Light. I'm I'm just better at fighting than you are." Yeah. Barrack isn't having that as a as an answer. Yeah. All right. So the hound's gonna think it over. Yeah. He says, "You're probably right. You're a fighter. 
You were mm-hmm. born a fighter. You yes. walked away from the fight. How did that go? Good and bad, young and old. The things we're fighting will destroy them all alike. You can still help a lot more than you've harmed, Clegane. It's mm-hmm. not too late for you. Yeah. Uh Lots of, uh, you know, uh, Jacob Marley type uh, messages for the Hound these last couple episodes. Very excited about this. Very excited about this. What is his destiny? You know, what's he supposed to do? Where, what, what is it? What is his purpose? Do we see why, the Hound again here, here? In, in season six? No, it's just this two episode arc here in season six and we won't see him again until season seven. I think a, a successful return for the Hound, I think utilized just enough here to, to get us interested and get us reinvested in the, the tale of Sandor Clegane. Really hyped for whatsoever, whatever's coming next. Even his, his very next appearance, I'm really excited for uh, the return of the Hound in the, the season seven premiere as he moves north with Thoros and Beric. I think it's fun stuff. All right, let's put the saga of Lady Crane and Arya and the Waif and Jack and Hagar to bed. As uh, Lady Crane, she's checking on Arya. She needs something on a very high shelf. I don't know what she keeps up there, but she decided, oh, there's, oh, there's that little bottle I keep all the way up at that that high shelf. Let me stand on my step stool. It's her secret rum. I mean, that's a very, that's like an airplane bottle of rum. It's her backup rum. It's her backup rum. And she goes up there and then the wave comes in. What does the wave do? She like kicks out the step stool underneath her? A mystery to me remains mm-hmm. a mystery. The, the, the image, the final image of Lady Crane is like her body has been like all twisted up. And for that to have happened so quickly and so noiselessly, like you do hear like a crash but you imagine you'd hear a lot of other noises involved in the the you twisting so. of the of the body, but I don't know. Um, how much do we need to revisit this sequence? God, there, I hate the wave so much. The wave you know, is so horrible here in her fi- even in her final moments. There's nothing redeemable about the wave. Go watch Terminator 2 and the scene in which the T-800 makes contact with John Connor for the first time after John Connor is running away from the T-1000 and they go on the highway and then they go through like the, the, the water ducks and the truck jumps after them on the motorcycle and they get away and everything is all good for John Connor as expected and then keep watching Game of Thrones and just assume that you've seen the scene with Arya and the Waif. It's essentially the Game of Thrones version of that scene. There are times in this chase scene and Arya that, I mean, that Lady Crane is uh, quite the, you know, we, to lose such a gifted surgeon, uh, what a tragedy because uh, Arya is uh, in incredible shape after being stabbed uh, only a day and a half, two days yeah, ago yeah. Uh, by the Waif. And then uh, we see Arya on foot. The waif runs at top speeds, easily, you know, 20, 25 miles per hour at times. Other times, the waif is incredibly methodical and in slow motion and, and standing still for seemingly, you know, 30 seconds at, at points, just watching Arya. Yeah. Yeah. All that's true. Mm hmm. Like, are you chasing her or not? It's like she'll chase her, and then she'll like, oh, the boys. She's just gonna stop and like. No, I think I'm just gonna watch you, uh, very slowly walk away. Yeah. Then, uh, then I will then very walk very slowly to get you. Yeah. Yeah. 
she gets chased back into that little cave. And then uh, again, seemingly for no good reason, the waif says, let me close the door. I need some privacy here for this. Privacy. Yes. 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 And then uh, she gets the waif right where she wants her. And then she cuts off the candle. That's cool. I do like that. I think that the 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 stinger on the scene is good. Like you know, it it, it caps off the whole what did Arya learn while she was blind, and what she learned is like I don't need to see in order to kick your ass, Waif. Uh, I think that's fun. I don't mind that at all. I just think it's a long way to get there. Hmm. And did we ever decide if this was planned ahead of time? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, you know, she I imagine maybe she's running in the direction of a place that she knows. That makes some sense to me to like lead her to a place that she knows. But I think uh, the way crashing Lady Crane's killing Lady Crane. Arya is not accounting for any of that. So maybe Mm -hmm. it's a plan once she's like on the streets and she knows like I need to start booking it towards this place that I know. Yeah, that make that makes some sense to me. Like if, you know, I know where needle is, I know where, uh, you know, I would know where there's a candle burning or where a candle can be burned or whatever like that. You know, that makes some sense. But there's nothing premeditated about it until at least the chase sequence begins. Yeah. Arya should have been the one to say, hey, wait, if you're going to kill me, at least close the door. <laughs> yeah. On your on your knees or on your feet. Like, I don't really care. But could you close the door? Mm hmm. Close the door. Right. right. Uh, there's no way that Arya could have accounted for the waif was going to follow her in and also close the door to right. like really get rid of any light. Yeah. In this. Uh, what, and what and what exactly is this room? This is a uh, like a sewer with a door. It's a studio apartment, Rob. Don't be such <laughs> an elitist. Sorry. A studio. Are you, calling uh, a call? Are you making fun of her because she's a Stark? So she's cheap? Yeah. What is what is this place? It's like an alley with a door that's like a clo- like a like a Bravosi sewer closet. It's low rent, man. Don't be. This is horrible. Just, this, is not a, this is not a, an Airbnb. How do you know that? How did she get it? I don't know, with the money that she stole so, that helped her yeah. get the, the the passage back to Westeros. Okay. Arya goes to see Jack and Hagar. Says, uh, hey, uh, look what I've got. Yeah. Look tried up there. To, tried to have me killed, but guess what, Broham? I got the wave's face. Yeah. Now, this annoyed me, too. Because then and Jack and Hagar is like, well Bra- done bravo you you, you, you uh, uh the, the girls no one she's like no i'm not no one i'm Arya stark he's like oh well done well played i love it i love yeah. it i love plus, it that plus. is so you that was so you that was so great and like what like i thought this whole training was a matter of life or death and oh you killed my wife okay cool oh you're leaving all right peace out well done awesome i'll just cut everybody's faces off by myself yeah, I don't have like a great one on this one. I don't know how how you how you feel great about the ending here. Is it that like Jack and Hagar always knew that it wasn't that Arya had to be a faceless man, but needed to be like, you know, honed so that she could go on and do whatever it is she needs to do next. Like she's important that she's somebody that has to channel that rage in a productive way to get some important business done. 
Um, does he actually want the waif to die because he also knows the waif is terrible? Oh my is God, the waif himself, is so annoying. Is he himself secretly afraid of death? And so in this moment with Arya, like he's afraid of what she's going to do. And so he's more than happy to meet her on her terms because it means she's not going to stab him in the chest. Like, I think that there's some interpretations of this scene, but for me, not one interpretation that's going to be. You think that Jack and Hagar is afraid that Arya is going to kill him, that he would not be able to fight Arya off here if uh, he wanted to? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. What? She, She may have him dead to rights. She has a sword by pointing him in the heart. Uh, oh, oh, I think I'd r- rather believe that, you know, this was the final test. Then you go. There you go. Believe it. I don't think that there is a great answer. I think even though Jacken seems very satisfied with Arya's performance here, I don't feel like there is one version of the end of this story that I have encountered anyway that has left me feeling very satisfied. I think that the, a, lo- a lot of the Bravo stuff is uh, is really painful to revisit. I think this stuff has been harder to watch than the High Sparrow well, material. Well, it goes on so long. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see what happens with Arya now that she's back in, in Westeros. We know she's going to make it to Winterfell. She's involved in the Littlefinger stuff. But what's the end game going to be like for Arya? I do think that there's probably instructive material to mine through the lady crane of it all when we look back on it in retrospect i'm not going to be surprised if there was stuff here that thematically connects with Arya's final landing point i remain as worried about Arya's final fate as ever before if not more so by going back through a lot of this um but i think that the watching of it i think that the pacing of it is uh, some of the the lower point Game of Thrones that we have encountered through uh, you know all but six episodes of the show? All right, and uh, that's it. Arya walks off, and uh, next time we see her, it's going to be in Westeros, right? Yeah, killing Walter Frayne. It's going to be awesome. That's going to be gonna, awesome. Okay, so it's all uh, it's all uh, up and up for, for, from here, except for the waif except and for, for Lady Crane. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we're at two episodes left of season six and they are uh, two of the very best episodes of Game of Thrones in my memory of it. And we'll see because my memory of season six has not been what I thought it was. Yeah. Who who knows where we're going to go from here. But I really I thought that there was a lot to talk through here in no one. Certainly a ton more than I expected uh, that I that I would have predicted before sitting down to watch the episode. Uh, so yeah, yeah, fun times with you on the podcast this week, Rob. This is yeah, great. always, always, Josh. always. Um, Most times, did, not always. You haven't always had fun with me on the podcast. I'm sure that there have been weeks where you'd be like, Oof. I don't think so. Don't Never. Think so. Uh, not that I can recall. None that you would share with me. Um, I'll think about it. I'm okay, yeah. Let anything. me know. I would. I would what, love to what, know. what about? Did we watch The Strain? <laughs> Yeah, you had to retire from that podcast yeah. after I think three like episodes. That, I, I have to tap out. <laughs> Stragoy. Yeah. Stragoy. Speaking of Walter Frey. Oh, yeah. amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, that there you go. Got it. Um did Lady Crane win a throner for best actress? I don't think she did. Big snub. Mm. This is as shocking as Bohemian Rhapsody winning the <laughs> best drama. Golden Globe Rhapsody. Bird Box is going to win uh, Best Drama. Don't joke with me. 
Got the it. Arya Stark bird box arc is over. Okay. <laughs> We're through that. We're done. All right. There you go. Uh, that's yeah, the blind blindfold. Uh, that's how she beat the wave. The Get me on. out of here. I'm done. All right. I'm done. All right. Josh Wiggler. Uh, great job. And uh, when we come back, it will be time to talk about the Battle of the Bastards. Exciting. That's exciting. Uh, And every time we come to a big battle-heavy episode, we always warn it's going to be a short podcast. I think we've been wrong every time. So this time, I'm going to say it's going to be a really long podcast. Next week's podcast about the Battle of the Bastards is going to be roughly three hours long. So strap in. Yeah. Get ready. I guess it's probably about normal length. I'd say like 50 minutes. I'm going to say 50 minutes is my guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that Lady Crane was in uh, the Matrix Revolutions? Who did she play in? The, that seems familiar. That seems <laughs> she familiar. played Maggie. Who's Maggie? <laughs> you don't remember Maggie from the Matrix <laughs> Revolutions? Oh, man. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I've blocked out the, so much of The movie. 19th lead? No. With, with uh, Seraph? Who's Seraph? <laughs> and Bane? <laughs> Isn't he in Batman? And Persephone? Oh God, I'm I'm feeling very triggered right now. And Counselor Grace? <laughs> oh my God. Matrix sequels. Why? <laughs> Why are we talking about them right now? What happened? What happened? How do we just uh, how do we cut the candle? <laughs> Can we cut the candle? Cut to black. Special thanks to our friends over at True Car for sponsoring this episode of Post Show Recaps. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. That luxury package you got after a big promotion or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer long. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell it or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car is detailed pop up then just answer a few questions navigation and moonroof watch as they bump up your car's value high mileage you already knew it was going to cost you but now you know how much it's going to ding your wallet so you can plan ahead and once you're finished you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes which you could take to a local certified dealer to cash out or to trade in so when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car check out true car today true cash offer not available in all areas